This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. APRA's 2023 annual performance test results recently came out and for the first time included trustee-directed products, of which 96 failed. Joining me today for a discussion on the results and to share his insights is Willis Towers-Watson, Director Investments, Jonathan Grigg. Jonathan, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Cassie. So other than the fact that most failed products were issued by the same four trustees, were there any other similarities in the products themselves that might have contributed to this result? To be honest, there wasn't a lot of consistency across those that failed. Um, so we had options from across the risk spectrum. It wasn't just defensively focused or aggressive. It was it was across the spectrum. There were some ethical options, but not many. There were some religious-based options, but not many. So there wasn't a real, really consistent theme there other than platform products were much more likely to fail. So 4% of products that were non-platform um, products and only 1% by member accounts and assets failed, whereas platform products 25% failed, which is obviously a much higher number. And as you say, a concentration of them um, with a small number of trustees. Yeah, that that is. Is there any reason around why platforms just weren't that successful? I think there's a, a few reasons. So platforms tend to offer more options um, and arguably because you've got a broader spread and often you're trying to do more, that can create more opportunities to, to fail the test. I think um, particularly they potentially offer more niche strategies. They're more targeting things that are not aligned with the benchmark. So they might have more liquid alternatives where the benchmarks aren't very well suited to it in the performance test. Whereas if you've got a lot of unlisted infrastructure and property, those benchmarks are, are quite accurate. Potentially more willingness to underweight risk at times on platforms. And I think you also, as you say, there's a, a number of RSCs that um, pop up a lot. There's also the same underlying portfolios that are across um, multiple platforms. And so there's a bit of repetition in the, the types of products that have ended up showing up as failures. So that number probably overstates the actual number of underlying portfolios that failed. Well, when it comes to trustee-directed products, APRA relies on trustees to identify these products and self-report them to the regulator. There may be other products out there that should technically be defined as trustee-directed products, but aren't being self-reported. What do you think makes sense to test and not to test? Yeah, so I think APRA is focused on tests where the trustee decides on the asset allocation and there is more than one asset class um, and there are definitions around how that's done. That's officially what they're trying to test and obviously it's up to the, the trustees to make sure they're complying with that. I think there's a broader question on what actually should be tested. Um, so my super was obviously the, the first set of products to be tested. And I think when you look at what should be tested, there's the trade-off between making sure that you're protecting members versus making sure that you're not stifling innovation and the options available to members. Mm -hmm. When you look at my super, you've got a lot of default members. They're not necessarily engaged in their super. And so that argument of protecting the consumer is quite strong there. I think if you look at then the trustee-directed products and things that fall outside of that, so single-sector options, arguably the members that have chosen to do that are more involved in their super. They're potentially getting advice and the risk of stifling innovation there is a bit higher and that's potentially where the trade-off is. I think it's quite interesting that APRA has focused on products that have multiple asset classes rather than products that have single asset classes because arguably it's easier to actually pass the test if you've only got one asset class. If you're just investing in equities, you should be able to be 
or not underperforming equities benchmark by a lot. So it's an interesting distinction that's been made. Yeah, definitely. And I guess with um, on that my super option, we saw only one failure and that was a repeat failure. And I, I guess it's probably because you know, funds have now had a, a while to prepare for the test and adjust their products or align them to meet the benchmarks. So do you think we'll see fewer trustee directed or on-platform products fail next year? Or will the sample of those assessed be expanded and potentially mean more failures? Yeah, so it's been an interesting dynamic with those that failed the test. This is the third year for, for my super. We had 13 fail in the first year, five last year, and now down to one this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at those that failed originally um, out of those 13, obviously there's one that's failed for the third time. Uh, but of the other 12, there's only four that actually remain and, and three of those are currently in the in merger phase. So one of the reasons why we've seen fewer failures over time is that this has spurred fund mergers and so those my super products don't actually exist anymore. Obviously, we could see similar sort of behavior and result. Uh, resulting from the choice options and I think more broadly one of the outcomes that was looking to be driven from the changes was to to push that fund consolidation where funds were struggling performance-wise. So there are obviously a few differences when you look at trustee-directed products. Mm -hmm. Uh, The implications this time of failing uh, is just that you need to write to members Um, but obviously that's still an impact. I think closing a my super option once it's failed twice is a much bigger deal than closing a choice option to new members. If it fails twice, um, you can't accept default members if you don't have a my super option available. And so, uh, there's a few factors there. One is it's a much bigger deal, um, but also the the ability to change in a short period of time is harder. Closing one trustee directed product is easier than merging into another fund, and that's why it's taken a couple of years for some of these funds to progress to that stage. Um, There's a lot of work involved in that. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. I think we're probably likely to see overall fewer failures next year for a few reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is that we'll have an an extra year of data and just by extending the the time period, it makes it a bit easier to pass because you you have to underperform for one one more year in order to not make it. Um, So that should help a little bit. I think we'll probably see some products close um, and maybe some of the providers that have a lot of products where a number of them have failed look to consolidate those products down. It will be interesting to see it play out because when making those decisions, trustees still need to be mindful that they need to be acting in members' best financial interests. So Mm. yeah, I I suspect we'll see fewer funds fail next year or fewer products, but um, it remains to be seen. And we'll get a bit more of an idea of that when the heat maps come out later this year. At this stage, we've only seen the failures. Um, We haven't seen how close those failures were uh, to passing and we haven't seen how close some of the products that passed were to failing. Well, speaking of members' best interest, in responding to the results, some of the trustees that had failed products seem to suggest that they don't believe there's anything wrong with the products and even said there's more to meeting member needs or outcomes and returns, implying that these often legacy products have benefits that outweigh the poor performance. Do you think that's a fair argument or do you think that an underperformer is simply an underperformer? Yeah, I think there's a few aspects to that. I do agree that there are there are potentially products that have failed for reasons that are, are not necessarily driven by not doing the job that they were supposed to do. I think if you look at it, obviously outside of the actual investment returns, there's things like advice and um, insurance, et cetera, that, that funds offer. I think you still need to be focused on members' best financial interests. 
But I guess the member's best financial interest is not necessarily benchmark aware returns. And so there are some factors that potentially have hurt some of these products that arguably have been in members' best financial interests. So protecting against inflation, protecting against the downside, and that's one that's more challenging to do at the moment because if you put some protection in there, potentially buy some put options, that's going to cost you in a number of years. And if you get a really strong period of equity returns that we've seen over the last 10 years, even taking into account COVID, paying that out each year is going to have hurt over 10 years, but will have protected on the downside in a number of cases. That may be something that arguably is in members' best financial interests. Um, I think the other thing is the retirement income focus. And at the moment, we don't have retirement products um, mm-hmm. assessed as part of the performance test. But I think that's an area that I'm pretty keen for them not to do because I think that really will stifle um, innovation, mm-hmm. particularly coming to, um, I guess, against the retirement income covenant, which is really focusing funds on providing that income in retirement, which is not the same as providing a return. Um, it's a It's a different focus. So I think the other thing that we don't know, it's it's easy to see the actual results. It's harder to see the impact that the test has had on decision-making. So some of those things I spoke about in terms of downside protection, et cetera, may not have been in portfolios where they were before. Um, we may have seen funds shy away from things that previously they thought made sense but become hard to do under the performance test. Mm. Probably the thing that may have shone through over the last year bonds had had a very strong period of returns um, when the performance test first came out. If you had a lower risk option, it made sense to have less duration than the benchmark in order to protect members against having too much interest rate exposure. That's something where people may have changed and actually just at the wrong time because bonds performed quite poorly last year. I just want to go back to your point on the retirement income products because here in Australia, longevity risk products are sort of at their infancy. Can you just sort of explain why you think the test would, you know, cause a negative impact? Yeah, so I think at the moment, the test is designed to assess performance against a set of market benchmarks. Um, And if you're looking at a series of returns and protecting that over time and delivering, um, you know, potentially annuities, that kind of thing, it's not really the same as managing a portfolio for just the return. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you're trying to come up with an innovative product that protects against things like longevity risk, that protects against things like inflation over time, if you're hamstrung by the fact that you need to perform relative to this test, that's going to really stifle the innovation and what you can offer because you're not going to want to offer, offer a product that then potentially fails and members have to switch out of or you can't accept new members into um, a couple of years down the track. So I think managing that balance of protecting the consumers against allowing for innovation, particularly in the retirement space, is something that regulators and government need to be careful about. Well, it's certainly an area that needs more innovation and we're probably going to see that in the next few years. Jonathan, I really thank you for jumping on the show today and sharing your insights with us. Thanks, Cassie. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 